on this Sunday coming, we will celebrate the resurrection. It will be a tremendous celebration for us because God raised Jesus from the dead. And we can rejoice in that because a couple things. One, uh, it is a remembrance uh, of celebration on Sunday. Today is a remembrance uh, of reflection of the price paid. But on Sunday, as Jesus is raised, we'll see truly, truly he was the son of God because he is raised from the dead. We will see that Christ had the power over sin and death and we will celebrate that truth. We will celebrate on Sunday because the resurrection is the foundation for our faith in Christ, for the Christian faith as a whole. Without the resurrection, there is no need to be together because we would have a dead faith. And doubting the resurrection is probably one of the most uh, poignant things that the world who does not know Jesus has to say could never have happened. Raised from the dead? No. But the Apostle Paul strongly and confidently dealt with the uh, resurrection and the death of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me just read. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 14, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That was part of the religious establishment back then. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. How true. Vanity is faith. Without the resurrection, we have an empty faith. Yet a few verses earlier, listen to what Paul says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, that you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now listen here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, and yes, he goes on to say, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The scriptures had clearly shared and, and looked forward to, and, and the scriptures that Paul knew was, were, of course, the Old Testament. They knew that the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to do something to take away the sin of the world because the Messiah was known as the Lamb. The Lamb of God, as John said, who takes away the sin of the world. Believing Jesus rose is important, but believing that he died for us is equally important. The purpose of his death is equally as important. It's of enormous importance. And so on this Good Friday, today, we're going to take a look at a detailed report concerning the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And no, we're not going to look at a gospel account. We're going to look at an account that uh, is astonishingly detailed and astonishingly accurate, written centuries before Christ's death 
even happened. And it begins as we take our Bibles to Isaiah 53, as read this morning by Michelle. And it begins in Isaiah 53, it says, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who, is he, who has believed what he's heard from us? It's a, it's a very good question, I, I think, for uh, the day and time in which Isaiah the prophet asked the question. And this whole section really is entitled in many of our Bibles, not, not inspired titles, but helpful titles, The Suffering Servant. Who has believed what he has heard from us? You have to understand, Isaiah was a prophet, and he was a prophet to Judah. You know probably that Israel, the, the nation of Israel, had internal turmoil, and they split. They divided into two. And there was Israel... And there was Judah, the nation of Judah in the south. And Isaiah is preaching to the nation of Judah around 721 BC. And he's trying to get them to put their hearts and trust in God because they certainly weren't doing that. As a matter of fact, Judah in their fear for their own lives as a nation had gone astray and they were starting to build relationship with the nation of Assyria. And Assyria was a pagan, evil nation. And so uh, Isaiah is saying, no, no, there is one coming, a Messiah. Don't put your trust in a nation, put your trust in the one who created all the nations. And so the core of Isaiah's message was repentance and acceptance of the Messiah, the one who would come and deliver them. Again, more than just a deliverer from the Assyrians, Messiah would come to deliver the people, Israel, Judah, from their sins, the weight of their transgressions. As with all the prophets, Isaiah being a major prophet in the Old Testament, <clears throat> all the prophets had to be absolutely accurate. It wasn't like they could miss on one point. It had to be perfect. That's pressure, don't you think? That's pressure. But it's not pressure when you're getting your prophecy from God himself. And so Isaiah preached what he received from God, and guess what? It took 720 years to follow before that prophecy came to fruition in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who, took away the, who takes away the sin of the world. And so let's, let's continue through these verses almost as a meditation this morning. As we look at verse 2 in your Bibles, it talks about an interesting image uh, that the Messiah will be a root out of dry ground. And to really understand that, uh, what it means, you have to go back earlier in Isaiah to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 where Isaiah is still prophesying, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Uh, he's telling us, he's telling Judah, he's telling all who will listen that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David, the king, Jesse, the father of David. 
As a matter of fact, we go to Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 6, we learn that Jesse begot King David, and it was through David's lineage the Messiah comes. Matthew 22, 41 to 42, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, these are the religious leaders of the day, said, the son of David. So in verse 2 of Isaiah, we, we see the truth Jesus came as he was supposed to, being a son of David. And as we continue in Isaiah 53, we, de- we see the description of the Messiah. Do you see the, the description there? It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. John um, elaborates on this in his gospel where he said that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Very first chapter of the gospel of John, verse 11. Jesus' own people, the Jewish nation, didn't want anything to do with him, really. His coming was prophesied many times, spoken about many times. With such pristine and precise Um, terms and when you think of the nation of Israel it's like how could they miss it it was so clear I think today uh, Jesus has been preached around the world and his miracles and his his person have been appreciated but the reality of who he is the Messiah has been totally Put aside. Too many people aren't even aware that he'd come, he's come to save them from their sin. And even today, much of the world doesn't even understand what we're doing here. To remember that Jesus died willingly on a cross to save us from our sins. Not to pay the price for any sin he had, because... He was sinless. He was perfect. The spotless lamb of God. And then how tragic for those who have a a basic understanding that, yeah, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but they reject him still. What a tragedy that is. And as we continue to move along, Isaiah 53, and we move to... Verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, my God, and afflicted. I think in Matthew 8, we see uh, Jesus reflecting exactly on Isaiah's prophecy where he says in verses 16 to 17, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Again, as we devotionally go through Isaiah this morning, uh, doesn't it just capture your heart how 700 plus years earlier Jesus was spoken about with such clarity? He is and, and, be, and he was who he had been prophesied to be. And he, we see that he 
took our sins. He bore the weight of our sins. And by doing this, he brought the possibility of forgiveness for each and every one. The possibility of cleansing. And if you're here today and you've not trusted Christ as your savior, the possibility could become a reality with a surrendered heart. Free from sin, the weight and the cost of sin to our lives and clean before God. And then this next verse captures my heart. Captures my heart like that beautiful song that was sung and those sounds of the cross says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and he was wounded for our transgressions. Do you notice the word that goes through there? Our, our, our. All that he did at Calvary, his life led up to that moment where he did all for us. I think Michelle was right. Like in, in, in many ways, I wish every day was like today for us. Where we would capture the weight of what Jesus has done for us. After Jesus was tried and waiting his crucifixion, he was beaten and he's whipped. And we saw that whip. Like when you understand what the, the brutality that he experienced, a, a whip with many leather lashes filled with sharp objects. So uh, as it whipped across his back, it cut open, it tore open his flesh. He did that for us. And he did that again in place of another, Barabbas. He didn't do that because he deserved it. He did it willingly. Jesus the Messiah suffered for each of our sakes, for our sins. As Romans 3, 23 says it so powerfully, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us today in this room Each one of us in this world have fallen short. We could never, can never match up to the holiness of God. And therefore, we can never enter his presence because of the sin in our lives. But Jesus made it possible. For the wages of sin, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay the price. For our sins. And through Jesus bearing our sins on that cross. He is before us today saying. Will you trust that I took your place? Will you receive the gift? Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. And by his wounds we are healed. And verse 6 wonderfully moves through that horrible thought where it says, we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Jesus went through all the towns and villages, as it says in Matthew 9, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, this is what our Lord, this is how he reacted when he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them. Sinners, just like us. Lost. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray. I had a chance to pastor in a country church and get to understand a little bit about sheep. And I came to understand clearly, and I say this first and foremost to myself, being a sheep. Sheep are stupid. They're not the brightest animals. And they will travel off into the most dangerous regions of a farm where all the coyotes and the, and the animals can get them and kill them. But that doesn't happen very often because why? The shepherd is watching. Shepherd loves his flock. He cares for his flock. You remember what Jesus said even to his disciples? You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Even those who were with him for three years in intimate relationship of uh, fellowship and teaching and service, he said, you're all going to go. You're all going to wander away. You're going to run away. As the shepherd falls, you will run. They remember what they said? They were indignant at that. You remember Peter? Never, Lord, never. Who was one of the most dramatic sheep that fell away? Peter. And so we see as sheep, we have a tendency to wander far too much. Verse 7. Verse 7. Says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Again, the lamb image. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, he opened not his mouth. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, could have said, You guys haven't got a clue who you're dealing with. You think you are going to do this to me? But he said nothing. He never opened his mouth in defense once. Remember at Jesus' trial, the high priest is speaking to Jesus. I can only imagine how frustrating this must have been for this high priest. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. Jesus was on mission. He would not allow anyone to distract him from his mission. And his mission was best accomplished in his silence. He allowed himself to be led as a sheep to the slaughter. He knew what he had to do. This was his destiny. Not only that, 
He takes the place. He could have been freed. He takes the place of a man named Barabbas, a wicked, wicked, murdering man. And he still remained silent. Let's look at verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had no, done no violence, no deceit in his mouth. Jesus, we know, was crucified between two wicked men, evil men. And although there's nothing said about his burial other than what we're about to say, all of sin, so he is buried amongst the wicked. But I love this, 720 years earlier, they, the prophecy comes that Jesus will be buried in a rich man's tomb. It says in Matthew 27, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took, Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. As Kathy and I have been to Israel on a couple occasions, we've been to a tomb which they claim is Jesus' tomb. And it, it's fascinating how they cut tombs out of rock face and a little place within. And Jesus was laid in a wealthy man's tomb. And it moves back in verse 10, where it uses this term, they crushed him. It was the will of God to crush him. If you look at the Old Testament offering system, the offering of Jesus would fall into the sin offering type of offering very clearly. And we have to remember the sin offering was by the will of God. I often think that the world thinks that this was a terrible thing that happened to Jesus. Good teacher going out doing these supposed miracles, the world would say, and just sort of got caught up and all of a sudden, mistakenly, he's killed. And the beauty of this day, it wasn't an accident. It was planned before the beginning of time. It was planned so that one day, uh, 2,000 years ago, in the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, we would hear things like, you are my beloved son, who I'm well pleased. God was pleased in what his son was doing, his willingness to give himself for a world that was totally lost. And Jesus did this for us, but also to glorify God. John 17 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. In Jesus' death, we find life. We find hope. And the God of the universe is glorified. And not only at this time 
does it talk about Jesus, the Messiah, coming to save? I like how descriptive it is. It says in verse 11, to make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now, God so loved the whole world. We know this. We know that the world has an opportunity. Every single man, woman, and child in this world has an opportunity to uh, enjoy the benefits of sonship in Christ, to become a new person in Christ. But not everyone will, but many, many, many will uh, be accounted righteous because of what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 21 says, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If anything we can remember today is we got a job. We've got a calling to share this message of reconciliation that Christ made it possible for many to come to faith, for many to find freedom in Jesus. In verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our message. That's our privilege to share that many will be able if they bow their hearts and surrender their lives to become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus bore sins, we cannot be charged with those sins. We're told that it's by knowledge of Christ, a heart knowledge. How do you get a heart knowledge of Christ? It's called surrender that heart of yours to Jesus and say, I'm trusting you. I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting in anyone else. I am trusting. I like how Paul talks about the knowledge of Christ. He says in Philippians 3, 8, 9, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. People find value in a lot of things. Some of them are quite normal and understandable. A lot of things people find value in, I just don't get it. But I, I want to be with Paul where I find surpassing worth in knowing Jesus Christ. Personally, experientially, from my very core of my being. It goes on in Philippians 3. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul, Paul it, hurt, it, it hurt Paul to know Jesus. Cost him his life. Uh, he was a Pharisee. He was a, he was a big man around town at one time. And he, yet he counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you know Christ like that? With such faith, such fervor. Paul says a person's righteousness or justification comes uh, before God comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Not the head knowledge. Let me remind you, we've heard it said many times, you can miss heaven by 
12 inches, however long your neck is, from the here to here. Because it's not just about knowing about Jesus. A lot of people know about Jesus. The devil knows about Jesus. But it's about translating that knowledge of who he is, what he did, what's the purpose from your head to your heart. Have you done that? Do you know Jesus from an experiential heart basis? And to get that, it's a gift of God. As we come to the conclusion of this marvelous passage, which I I hope you will take time just to reread it again today. As we come to verse 12, it talks about, Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he should divide the spoil with the the strong, because he he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He's numbered with the transgressors. One robber on one side, one robber on the other side. And with those two, they crucified him. So we began with who has believed. I take it because you're here today, you have. You have believed that Jesus Christ was crucified died and was buried because he chose to take your place. Why should we believe? Why should uh, we look to Isaiah and, and contemplate what he has written for us that it makes something for us today. I makes a difference for us today. I think so because it was a, a prophecy that happened 720 years earlier and everything Isaiah said came to, to, uh, to fruition. That strengthens and that bolsters my faith. It, re, it really causes me to say, God, you are amazing. You gave all of us ample opportunity to understand and to know who this Messiah would be. And Jesus fits every aspect of what you promised. And that's why I believe in the importance of the death of Christ, because God chose to reveal it all those years earlier. Secondly, most important reason to believe in Christ's death on the cross is because it is a key, vital piece of information that we need in understanding salvation. If you do not understand why Jesus had to die, why he died in the manner that he died, you're gonna miss a huge part of what it means to know Christ and to know the salvation he offers. So I pray this morning, I trust this morning, that as you contemplate the enormous and amazing sacrifice of Christ. You will praise God. You will rejoice. Your heart will be deeply touched at how the plan of God came to fruition. And you will look forward to Sunday with all of us to come back here and celebrate the rest of the story.